Hello and welcome to another episode of your favourite podcast, Invasion of the Mind Snatchers. Today we are talking about self-help books. Potion or poison? What are your initial thoughts, guys? I was just going to say anything in um, the right measure um, can be good for you. But, you know, it's like uh, I'm thinking digoxin here. You know, you have a bit too much and it can be not too good for you. So I I don't know. I think, um, you know, I'm optimistic about these things, you know, open-minded. A little bit of of a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. Um, but I could see how, you know, if you get overindulgent in these types of things, um, if you live your life by a book, well, you're not living life. Fantastic analogies there. I was more with a potion, actually, but then after that, I started Googling, like, why would someone think of it as a poison? And I was trying to keep an open mind. And um, I started reading people's opinions about it being oversimplified, and maybe that made people frustrated about... You know, they give you a book and say this is um, this is a solution for something, and then after that, maybe they get frustrated or they think it's a con. There, there is a massive stigma, isn't there, amongst certain people about self-help books? It's considered a weakness. Um, but you know, we'll try and keep an open mind here. Of course, I can tell you about the industry, the self-help industry. Estimated profits of thirteen point six billion annually. Wow. Um, and, and there's no doubt, is there, that some people are getting very rich from this. Self-help books, interestingly for me, um, the, the, the theme of the self-help book changes from era to era, doesn't it? Depending on what is the, I don't know, the prevailing need of whatever age. Um, so what would you classify as a self-help book? What does that encompass? I think for me, it's quite a broad uh, notion of self-help book because as I was sort of thinking on this topic, I think you could encompass anything. Uh, if you gave yourself a broad definition, you could consider anything from the Bible to, you know, how to lose weight in 21 days <laughs> type vibes. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, uh, I'm sure there's a more stringent definition out there um than that but if i was to think broadly on what a self-help book is it's it's something that anybody can pick up um you know assuming that you're you're able to read um and use it as almost an instruction manual or cookbook to change something or develop something within yourself um which even using the the analogy of the bible you know um I mean, I'm not a Christian myself, but I can see how you'd use those stories to illustrate ideas. Um, and I think one of the ones that we're going to, one of the self-help books that we'll probably talk on later, um, sort of explores these ideas of self-development through a mysterious mm-hmm. story. You know, I'm thinking of The Alchemist uh, with that one. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, if you had a broad definition, it could encompass quite a lot of things. It's a bit like a cookbook. Mm. I mean, uh, it is a broad spectrum, like Ben said, and it's uh, many things could come under the self-help book. Depends on really what you're looking for. So if um, if someone wants to improve their confidence, it will be a self-help book about confidence. If someone is feeling that anxiety is a problem, it will be reading more of like anxiety books and, and so on. But I think it's um, um, even the raw books of like um, how... Um, about communication skills, how to get rich. I mean, there are mm. lots and lots of books, uh, but it really depends on what you're looking for. 
Yeah, very true. Um, well, I think, you know, my research showed me that self-help books have been around for thousands of years, really just alluding to what Ben said as well. Um, and they've been loved and hated for just as long. And some of the earliest self-help books that I was reading about were ancient Egyptian texts, actually. So Nola's, Nola's got an Egyptian background. Um, but it was a whole genre of books called sabate. And does that mean anything to you, Nola, sabate? Not really. No, so that's nothing to do with, you know, modern day uh, Arabic that you speak in Egypt. Sabate. They were basically instructional literature manuals on life. And sabate means teaching. So one of them that's really famous, well, I say famous, the Maxims of Patahotep. And it was written in 2800 BC. And it was a letter of advice from a father to a son, basically advocating moral behavior and self-control. Um, but, you know, we talked before about the ancient Greeks as well, didn't we? Aristotle, Socrates, they all had um, teachings. They all had ways that we could better ourselves and improve ourselves. But from, from this maxim of Patahotop, I don't think I'm saying that right, but I'll give you a few quotes. Some of them are quite interesting. All conduct should be so straight that you can measure it with a plumb line. <laughs> I mean, I found that really funny. But this is from 2,800 years ago. Well, they were well, quite strict back then. Yeah, then. absolutely. Um, and another one, he who has a great heart has a gift from God. He who obeys his stomach obeys the enemy. So these are self-help books, aren't they? They're manuals on how we can all better ourselves. No, it is interesting. I think it is, as you say, it's timeless. I think, um, you know, back to the question of potion or poison, at the crux of, of that question really is it's, um, it's like anything. It's wh whoever's wielding it. You know, uh, a pen can be used to stab somebody in the eye or write a literary work. So I think, you know, when you entrust yourself to somebody and read their book, their self-help book, um, you know, to the reader that's absorbed into that, into that idea. And I think any book that you read, um, you know, you have like a suspension of disbelief, don't you? So like if you're reading Harry Potter, you're not thinking about Lord of the Rings or day-to-day -day life. You, you sort of immerse yourself within the literature. Um, <clears throat> and I guess the danger is with a self-help book is if you immerse yourself in the literature and actually you've been misguided. Um, so that's that's maybe where it's um, poison rather than a potion. That's a very good point. And it makes me think of the question, actually. Um, a lot of the people that are the authors of these, these books, they may not be qualified. I mean, they may not be qualified to speak on this particular subject. And how do we know? How do we police or govern this? I think we can't do that very well. I'm not saying that they have to be professional therapists or psychologists. Um, the University of Life is, is far more important. I think that can teach you a lot more. But going back to Ben's point, what if you get bad advice in one of these books? And that's your source of, you know, guidance. But I think self-help books still is um, everyone is writing a book based on their journey in life and their experience. So it might not be for everyone, but maybe it's, um, it's about the things that they've gone through and they found out that these are things that help. So it will be potion for some people, but it will be useless for others. So That's true, but that's also a huge power to yield, isn't it? To have that much of an effect on people with mental health problems, people with severe depression, people with relationship problems, financial difficulties, bankruptcy... That's so much responsibility on that author then to be to be responsible, isn't it? But I don't think that it would harm. Maybe it wouldn't help much. So maybe someone would, my opinion, it might they maybe read the book, but not find it helpful. 
um, or they'd take points for just one or two points, but um, they might just say it's not a good book and they might not follow it. But I don't think it usually gives you wrong advice. That's a big question, isn't it? I mean, the um, <laughs> wrong advice, it's uh, it's a bit loose in a way. What, what constitutes wrong advice? I mean, uh, what it sort of brings to my mind is the, the idea of, um, you know, the, the person that is writing, you know, the self-help book, a, a given self-help book, it should be, they should be authentic and truthful. Mm. Actually, even if you are those two things, you can give bad advice. Um, you know, for example, um, I'm just trying to think of some really, really bad advice I could give somebody. You just, uh, I'm, I'm you just actually with. reminded me because there was just an audiobook that I was uh, listening to and it was about confidence. And in the beginning, they're talking about, um, this is about tips about why um, things to avoid so that you don't get used. And also, if you want to use somebody, you can use those tips. <laughs> and I was uh, like, yeah, exactly. wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's very true because uh, when I was researching this, I found a few titles that were very interesting. There's a, an author called Robert Ringer, and he published a book in 1977, which sold millions. It was, it was one of the New York Times number one bestsellers, and it was called Looking Out for Number One. So you can infer from that what you want, but basically, Robert Ringer has been called the mentor to mentors, guiding you on the most exciting and rewarding journey of your life, with life-changing ideas, strategies, and insights. Um, and basically, some people would say that it was a very cutthroat approach to dealing with people, looking out for number one. He also wrote, winning through intimidation, be the victor and not the victim. <laughs> and these were very popular books. And you can imagine a salesperson picking up a book like this and, you know, striking, you know, when they're selling a car or something and using some very questionable tactics, maybe. Mm. Um, the other one that was really funny was Harry Brown. You can benefit from a monetary crisis. Very interesting title. Women Who Love Too Much, a self-help book by a licensed marriage and family therapist called Robin Norwood, published in 1985, again on the New York Times bestseller list. And she basically advised women to not love their husbands or their partners too much. Um, but, you know, she was very popular. She had a lot of criticism as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really think that books can give you bad advice. It just I don't think that's the yeah. book, the last one, because I remember reading that book years ago. <laughs> you read that one? Like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, it was quite a funny one. But it? it was actually, it wasn't actually about women who love too much. It was about women who try to find a man who's um, dependent on them somehow. And when ah, they okay. lose that, then they stop, uh, they lose interest or something. I think if that was the same book. <laughs> Then that I'm was. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry to laugh. I mean, that just made yeah. me because that's a book from 19. 19- no, no, it's okay. It's okay to was, laugh. It's, it, it was yeah, funny. Sorry about that. That was a natural reaction. But uh, I don't mean to mock you, Lola, because this is what you'll find on my bookshelf, um, and I'm just holding it out for you guys. So Dale Carnegie. No, got that one. You got so how to win friends and influence people, and then his public speaking book. And my husband. I've really got the worry one. Yeah, well, my husband worried. makes fun of me for this. He says, you don't believe in this type of thing, and yet you've got these, you know. And I said, well, the only reason I'm reading How to Make Friends and Influence People is because I read the biography of Manson. Manson, you know, the serial killer. Um, and in this book, it says this was Manson's favourite book in prison. This was his number one read. And so that's why I brought this. I thought, why does Manson like this book? 
I remember the reason I, I think I read also the one was how to stop worrying and start living. And I think the reason I was just, it was a time I was Googling what are the best, like uh, the best books, self-help books. And I was just uh, interested in reading the, the, um, the, the good ones. And um, yeah, so, but I think it's, um, yeah, it's a good point what you mentioned. <laughs> I mean, they, they have a powerful potential, don't they? They do. I mean, yeah, you know, they do. Aside from the, the prospect of bad advice, um, and I mean, I've, I've been Googling away, you know, self-help books gone horribly wrong, and I couldn't really find much in, in the way of material that, that in response to that. But I think they have a, a potential to be transformative to people. Um, they do. I mean, we've all been scrolling through social media and come across a, a quote or a story um, that that makes you think. Um, so I, I think it's um, it's a bit like what I opened with. Actually, it really does depend on how you utilize it. If you um, if you live and live and breathe by a book, um, then you're not really living and breathing at all. But um, if you can, in the course of reading a a good advice filled book, you know, cultivate some mechanisms to get you through some tricky times. Mm. Um, you know, people don't have access to good counsel in, in all cases, you Absolutely. know, and, and really, I mean, for, for whatever we might say about psychotherapists, uh, trained professionals, um, we've still got plenty of people going around feeling horribly depressed and whatever else. Um, there's a limit in terms of what what can be done uh, in all avenues. So if a self help book helps you, then then why not? You just made me think of resilience, which is such a key um, topic in psychology and, and psychiatry as well. Actually, resilience for our listeners is the ability to withstand you know trauma, life's adversities, and it's really dependent on your childhood, very much so, and the love that you get from your parents, the love and the confidence they install in you um, and obviously any trauma that you've been exposed to and if you don't have that then you perhaps you will need to be seeking advice and structure from various sources um, some good and some bad but this book this Dale Carnegie book was published in 1936 and some of the things are very sensible actually I mean some of his points are just things like always begin in a friendly way um, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Give honest and sincere appreciation. To get the best of an argument, avoid it. So some of it is really, really interesting, but it's also a way to charm people and get what you want, which is perhaps the more sinister side of it, and perhaps why Manson loved this book so much. To 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 almost um, become a puppet master, to control people, to control the situation. Mm. You do make an interesting point. I think... Manson was in no short supply of ability to influence people before he read that book. Um, and I think, you know, I'm just trying to think of something obscure that I might want advice on. I feel like I'm quite well-rounded and have had, you know, good avenues, but not everybody does. There might be something quite obscure that, you know, people maybe are having difficulty navigating in, in their lives, whether it's an issue with confidence or, yeah. or an issue with self-esteem or, or something to that effect or how they navigate relationships where, you know, you've said it yourself, we we model ourselves very much on, on what we experience and, you know, we're a product of our experience and environment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it might be that you're you're lacking a, a crucial piece of the puzzle and, you know, if, if a book that's, um, you know, well orientated it's sincere it's honest and it's you know it's written in good faith and you can take something from that that gives you a piece of the puzzle i think that can only be a good thing but um as with anything you know you can 
nuclear fission and um is it nuclear fission or fusion i can't remember which but you can make bombs or, or create power right so um i don't think anybody is going to be um taking over the world in a hostile manner with some of the self-help yeah. books we've, we've looked at but you know there is a risk there is risk um, and Nona and Ben, any other books that you've personally read that uh, you can tell us about? I read How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Dale Carnegie. Yes, yes, the same, yeah. Um, I think it was quite good as well, but still it was only a few points that um, like I found interesting. So as I said, it's still it's not for everyone. It's um, the self-help book and it depends on the um, the author's journey and what he feels was helpful for him. And this is why he's suggesting that we should do these things. You might just find one of them might be useful. Um, yeah, the others might not su suit you. But I do like uh, The Secret as well. Mm -hmm. I like that it gives me positive energy. So I need I've to heard see. of that one. That one also had quite mm -hmm. a bit of criticism. That's like the power of positive manifestation. The universe can do things for you, is it, that one? Um, yes. I've got a story about that, actually. I actually had a patient who was um, in the, the psychiatric ward, and he was psychotic, new case, uh, new case of psychosis, and he'd become obsessed with, um, I, I don't want to say it's this book, but it was a book like this, and he was obsessed with the concept of positive manifestation, and he said he could manifest anything. He could just think about something and it would manifest in front of him. Um, but for some reason, he didn't have any social support. He was alone. He was far from his, you know, I think he grew up in Scotland, ended up in London, became completely obsessed with a self-help book and psychotic and delusional, um, mm. which I thought was interesting. <laughs> I don't know why I brought that up, really, but it, I, I think it was a very similar concept. Is this similar, Nola? Is it about... I think yeah, I think it, it takes what, what suits you. So for me, I only took from the secret that um, it's better to think positive than to think negative and to concentrate on the positive side. I didn't think, um, um, you know... I think I just made it very simple that if you think about, I missed the bus, I'm going to have a horrible day, um, you're going to have a horrible day. However, if you just think about, you know, I'm going to get to the um, to work safely, I think then you start having a positive attitude and you're going to have a good day. This is as far as I remember. I read it about 10 years ago. So. I love the concept of the of the secret, actually. Um, and I must admit, I've not read the book, but I watched the, the movie. I'm, I'm way more into audio books and, and watching the, the film version, if you like. But I think the idea, um, I, I can't argue against it, really. If I say to you now, think of a happy, happy thought. You think of happy thought. Oh, everybody's smiling. So actually the idea of us manifesting, you know, our reality is not an entirely false notion. So I think the idea that you can manifest a yacht because you think you should have a yacht <laughs> yeah. is a, quite a different thing to what is meant by the spirit and sentiment, uh, you know, underpinning it. That, that said, the, clearly some of the ideology behind the secret is that, you know, you get a dream board and you put your yacht on it and you will manifest the yacht. Um, I, I think a sort of, you know, a more pragmatic peripheral perception of that might be that actually we do have an influence over our reality. If you, uh, a bit like Nola said, if you think positively, then positive things manifest. Um, it's, it's an interesting uh, concept. It is, isn't it? And, and again, that motive for what book you seek and what book you search for, um, 
Because another book that I really, really like, actually, is Deep Work by Cal, uh, Cal Newport. I don't know if you've read it. Um, and it's just basically about, you know, maximizing efficiency at work. And that really appealed to me. Um, and the techniques I thought were really good. And there were basically things like you want to work deeply. You can use the monastic approach or different approaches to work, embracing boredom, quitting social media, draining the shallows, which basically means just limit things like, you know, checking emails, doing things like that. So it was very much work-based and improving efficiency. Um, and I'm just thinking what kind of book the secret is, kind of what, who would be seeking to read a book like that? What type of person would that be? I think the the reason I read The Secret, I think someone recommended it to me, but I did, the reason I liked it, as I said, is because it, it does give you positive energy, which is what I was, um, what I was looking for, what I was seeking, basically, is trying to focus on the positive. Um, but it really depends on, um, I think it still depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it, it can be very beneficial for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wonder a bit about, I mean... We've all done psychiatry. We've all got a good kind of um, understanding of perfectionist traits. Do you think these books or people that keep reading these books, they tend to have perfectionist traits? Not necessarily, but possibly. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want to improve. What, the choice of book? Yeah, the choice of book. I mean, um, I think the, the person reading The Secret versus Art of War... They're on different vibes. So, um, it's, it's a good point, isn't it? It's, it's your choice of book. We're going back to your choice of book. Um, so the perfectionists are people that obviously they have very high expectations of themselves and others as well, actually. They're very critical of themselves and others. They can find fault. Um, and their choice of book might be completely different. But not necessarily. I mean, if someone's got trouble sleeping and then they want to read a self-help book about sleeping, that doesn't mean that they are perfectionists. They just notice they have trouble sleeping and they want to see what they can, you know. That's true. That's true. No, no, I, I meant more books like this, you know, how to win friends and influence people, that kind of thing. I mean, that, that kind of book, you know, or how to make a million in a year, that kind of thing. I have actually been on a, um, on a like a, a seminar one evening with a, a friend that was doing dentistry. Um, back when I was doing undergraduate medicine and um, we went to this how to make a million dollar practice um, won't say too much more beyond that but um, you know I'm, I'm not sure whether the chap that was running those sessions has made a million or not or made many millions but um, I've gone a bit off piece there actually that's completely not answering what you're saying but it just brought it back to my mind um, but I think you're right Nola you know if you if you're worried about sleeping, you're not necessarily a, a perfectionist. But I think there is there is a danger that uh, that type of personality can be drawn into, um, you know, more so than perhaps those that aren't. This idea of how to get rich quick and that sort of thing, um, which I guess uh, one way to do it might be to sell a self-help book. <laughs> we'll think about Maybe. that after this. Yeah, my work. Um, but guys, interestingly, I was speaking to a, um, a psychiatrist, and they were, the, their view was basically that. Um, what did they say? They said basically they don't know whether self-help books really help anyone, and that they were aware that um, they were aware about some stats that claimed that eighty percent of self-help book customers are repeat buyers, which indicate almost that there's a bit of a dopamine effect, and they need more. Um, and perhaps the book doesn't help as much. It temporarily helps. 
and then they need to go search for that again, that high. Um, and what else do they say? Yeah, so very little scholarship on the subject as to whether self-help books actually help or not. Some people also say that self-help readers, book readers, don't read more than the first 20 pages. Just the act of buying the self-help book um, can make someone feel better, almost like a placebo effect. I don't know as I'd consider it a dopamine rush. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm sort of, I'm thinking maybe not a work of fiction, but if I read a, a scientific journal and then next week read another journal, I'm not reading the journal for a rush. You know, we're human beings, we're forever learning you know especially as doctors actually doctors are always learning continuously professionally developing and going on to learn new things so you know is it really about uh, the desire and the need to get another fix or is it actually there's somebody that's seen something of benefit learned something about themselves through a self-help book and actually thinks do you know what outside my circle of experience some of these learned people or successful people have something to offer in their book um, I, I guess I'm becoming mm. increasingly sympathetic to the idea, just thinking about the book I'm going to write. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and the millions in the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it, it doesn't have to be about the next big fix. If you can, um, it's a bit like if you've got a friend that gives you valuable insights into things, um, you're not necessarily going back to them with the same problem. But as as a concept, the idea that you can, get something from that source, whether it's self-help books or Google. Um, I don't think it's necessarily pathological or, or even somebody that's on the on the prowl for a adrenaline fix or, uh, or whatever. Ben, when you do psychiatry training, everything's pathological. <laughs> oh, <I'm sure. laughs> no, sure. but no, you, you, you made such a good point, Ben, because you just reminded me of neuroplasticity, right? Um, and we're all familiar with that. Just for our listeners, you know, the brain is not a static organ. It's growing as we're learning things. For example, if you have a, a skill, you learn to play the piano, a certain part of your brain will grow, it'll be bigger than someone who doesn't play the piano, for example. Um, and there is evidence, you know, paralysis, people that are paralyzed, people that are amputees, neurogenesis, new neurons. So maybe that is just a very core thing for us as human beings, that we want to learn, we want to better ourselves, we want to reflect on things. Um, and what would we be as humans if we actually didn't do that, if we were just static and we didn't want to learn and improve? Um, I guess the other thing that we'll probably do now is we'll listen to the, or hear the contributions from our listeners. So someone said, um, people that read these things tend to be selfish, self-centered, and all about me, me, me. They are so focused that they forget there are other people in the world with feelings. I completely disagree. <laughs> That's what we want, Nola. Tell us, tell us why. <laughs> um, well, uh, someone who reads self-help books, so yes, they want to help themselves, but um, most of the time they want to understand how other people behave, maybe so that they'd be more considerate. Um, and I feel like it might just, uh, it's not just about them focusing, focusing on, on themselves, but I think they just want to improve. I don't think that's selfish if you want to improve something that you feel, you know, needs improvement. No. I think that whoever made that comment was probably having a bad day at the office. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, brutal is what yeah, comes yeah. to mind. Uh, yeah. Brutal, brutal. Um, perhaps, I just it made me think that is somebody that sat across somebody they, 
they don't particularly like that's reading a lot of self-help books yeah. in the office, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, potentially, potentially. I, I think um, there definitely will be a demographic of people reading these books that, are, you know, you could almost say they're narcissistic. Um, but I, I think um, I think it's probably a little bit un, unfair to, um, to to tar everybody of reading the self-help books, specifically given that all three of us have, have read um, them in one form or of another that they're quite so self-centered and selfish but I mean um, you know uh, brutal brutal it was I, I'll skip one but uh, I'll, it has helped me and this is someone speaking about The Alchemist which I haven't read by the way uh, I love The Alchemist it's been life-changing for me I heard that Will Smith and Madonna love this book and so I thought I would read it. The idea that all individuals should live in the singular pursuit of their individual dreams, and that's what I'm going to do no matter what. Well, I started that book, but I didn't finish it, so I can't really comment on it. Uh, but so many people were talking about this book. Um, right, right. Yes, but uh, yeah, I just didn't finish it. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the right book for me anyway. Um, yeah, it was... But uh, no, look, to... Madonna and Will Smith read this book. I'm not Madonna or Will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, interesting. I think Ben might have read it. No, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it's a bit like the Bible. That reminds me a bit of the Bible, you know, this idea of parables and um, almost giving advice through the the fable and the story. Um, It's an interesting idea. I think it's it's a nice approach to a self-help book. Um, I, I don't even want to read the other negative comments because there are so many negative comments. And I think that's that's when we were talking about the stigma, the stigma associated with self-help books. Uh, some people think of it as a weakness. I don't want to admit I'm reading a self-help book. Um, I don't want to admit I'm going to therapy. I don't want to admit I'm taking you know medication. There's a stigma attached to a lot of these things. I think, I think it's because people are judgmental and this is why... True, yeah, they, are. they can be, yeah. Uh, you could almost think of self-help to be honest though I think there is stigma associated with it I, I, I wouldn't go and say to my colleagues oh, I'm reading a self-help book at the moment um, it just it, it sounds a bit icky doesn't it and you yeah, associate it yeah. with these just when you said r- it Ben I felt like mockingly laughing at you and that's really bad isn't it yeah you just it's bad the, the association yeah with, like some sort of mental and instability and the idea of inadequacy do you know what I mean but it's so it's unfounded but it's, not, I think, but it's unfounded um, mm. it's unfounded I think there's yeah um they're, they're like life's navigation tools aren't they it's it's a bit like a compass um you know you can get where you're going without it but it, it helps um you know in storm uh, I think uh, it's very easy for people that are not in said storm to be without their compass following the horizon but uh, when the weather gets a little bit you know, worse for way. People need aids to to navigate the the difficult um, paths that that life can be. Certainly, they do. Um, I I did read an article. I think it, I, I think it was in the New York Times actually, but they mentioned religion, and obviously we talk a lot about theology in these podcasts. So I think Ben's already talked about the Bible, but this author was talking about the collapse of certain systems of belief. Um, and systems that once specifically provided guidance and meaning and the collapse of these systems, which they did not, they didn't name, um, allowed self-help to become even more valuable because it provides a sense of community for those who are lonely. Um, 
So what do you think about that? Do you think that the decline of religion somehow has led to the rise in self-help books? Yeah, there's a void, isn't there? I think, you know, the um, society is devoid of, of lots of good things nowadays that perhaps religion... Religion's got good and bad points, you know, and most religions. But I think also what it gives people is a moral and ethical framework, which in the absence of that, it, you know, what guides people morally and ethically? Um, and I think it can provide a good framework. Um, uh, so, so I think that the, there is probably a few things that have compounded the, the introduction of more and more self-help um, books. I think exposure through the internet is definitely a big one, but I think the market for it is definitely there in the absence and decline of religion. More people would say they're of a, you know, spiritual beliefs, i.e. non-religious, have some belief in something, but they can't quite quantify it as a religion. And I guess that sort of flexibility in, in beliefs uh, permits for, um, you know, essentially anybody to write a book that can speak to that within people, you know? I was reading a book about cults, actually, um, the A to Z of cults, something like that, and they were talking about religion, and they were saying that the reason why there are so many cults, or there were so many cults, and you can say the same thing about self-help books, is because we've got a form of religion that's an ersatz form of religion, which is a weak, uh, sweetened, you know, watered-down version of religion. But interesting comparison, actually, with the cults, with uh, when you're reading <laughs> self-help books, I don't think that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> it's very helpful. Um, I think yeah. the, the idea of a cult as... Um, not necessarily a, a religious or pseudo-religious spiritual thing, but, uh, you know, as an ideology, I think you could definitely draw parallels, you know, in the absence of... Uh, and, you know, I think that maybe, uh, and maybe, Nola, you were getting the vibe there with the word cult, that it's the yes, negative I think connotations I, of, of I that. I think I misunderstood. Actually. You know, I think the the idea of a cult, we, we think, don't we, like, you know, do you want to drink the Kool-Aid? Um, you know, Jonestown, Google it if you don't know what I mean by drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, we, we don't. If you're reading your self-help book and you're well on board with it, I think that The Secret, for example, has definitely got a cult-like following. Um, I, and, I, and I don't say that in that in the same sort of way as, we're talking about Jonestown, but I mean that in terms of a large group of people, you know, many thousands of people that are on board with this idea, this ideology of um, cosmic ordering, essentially, isn't it? Um, I think someone at the in the office actually actually said, going back to religion, they they said they they quoted the Psalms, and I won't read them. I'm obviously not going to read them for you, but they quoted their favourite Psalms, and they said that this is my self help book. This is my advice. This is my crutch. This is my rock. Yeah, yeah. I think it's not contradicting that um, um, your belief, if you're looking to improve certain things or uh, you want to understand um, other people better or... Yeah, I don't think that's unhelpful. No, it's not. It's not. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, anything else that you want to say on self-help books, what would you say to listeners out there if they were thinking about self-help books so there was a part of their life that they they were feeling very negative about for example they were feeling very anxious or they wanted to excel in public speaking well i mean if they wanted 
to improve their public speaking, I'd say for what purpose? Um, you know, are you? <laughs> what are you planning to do with that? Um, it's not the prerequisite of most. I don't think most people need to do too much public speaking. I think it's a nice thing to have. And a lot of people struggle with that. I think, you know, um, if you are struggling with anything, you're listening to the podcast and thinking, um, you know, perhaps you wanted a bit of self-help from this session and you've come across um, us guys talking about self-help books. I think, you know, look inward. Um, I guess uh, a good time for listeners to engage with us. Uh, we'd love to hear if there are any particular self-help books that you've listened to and have found really helpful. Um, perhaps the takeaway message is for you to get in contact with us so that we might reflect on uh, some of our ideas. And I think generally speaking for self-help books, so it's not usually, um, sometimes you have to read 300 pages to get like one or two points, uh, which are the ones that would work for you. Um, but I do like self-help books. So. <laughs> But I do like, I remember one thing from every book. So it's not like I remember many things yeah, because yeah. not all of them did suit me. And um, if I go back, I wouldn't go through reading the whole book again. I would just, you know, read the points, um, the take home points. Yeah. And I, I said this before about Ben, but Nola also is a very well-rounded person. Um, so she's got a healthy outlook on learning and growth and development, which is maybe it's a, a testimony to all the, the good self-help books that you've read. Not women who love too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm very selfish. Yes. <laughs> no, no, not, not at all. Not at all. Um, I think I, I, I completely agree. They can be a great source of advice and support for people. Um, and obviously, if you are going through depression or anxiety or anything that you feel needs a doctor's attention or advice, you can always go to your GP as well. Um, but you know, if you're just looking to improve yourself, have a look through. Have a read on. Look at reviews. Look at books. Go to the bookshelf. See what suits you. Um, don't believe everything you read. I mean, someone's written this book. What right do they have to preach to you how to live your life? Just think about that. You know, the, the reality of it is that a book is like a photograph. It's a snapshot. So, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, you know, Nola's alluded to it that it might just be one word or a few parables in the entire book. Um, you don't have to take it all on board. It's, you know, it's a snapshot. Uh, take what you can use and, and leave the rest. Yeah, I'm on the fence as well. I think there's some really good self-help books, but there are some real stinkers out there as well. Um, but thank you so much. I think we've had a really good debate about this and we haven't all agreed, which is which is good in a sense. Um, just for our listeners out there, uh, please do check out our website, invasionofthemindsnatchers.com. You can find links to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and also our email address. So please comment on this podcast, contribute to future podcasts. Um, and Ben, you chose this topic for the next podcast. Do you remember? I can't remember. <laughs> no. What was the topic? The, the topic is magic. Does it oh, exist? Magic. Yeah. Is it? Is oh, it yes. Yeah, magic. Does it exist? Or, you know, if I believed in magic, would, I, would, I, would you need to section me? Well, that's very culturally specific, I think. You know, and the, psychiatrist, the psychiatrist within you knows this. Um, now, I, I can't wait to, yeah. to get on to the next podcast um, and we'll have some food for thought. What do we call magic? We'll see. Tune in next time. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Bye.